everyone, welcome to episode number 13. And this is Steps Talk, a podcast that is an extension of Steps Care, a nonprofit based out of Bentonville, Arkansas, that is all about inspiring disability ministry. It is Monday, April 8th, and this is our second show that we are highlighting autism awareness. I am your host, Shelly Allen, founder and executive director here at Steps Care. And today we're going to be talking about our perspectives associated with diagnosis and what some would call quote unquote labels. So stay tuned. I think you're going to be inspired. All right. Today we are talking with another great autism advocate. She's walked into my life when I personally needed a mom mentor that I could relate to. Um, being a mom um, of children who had autism, a mom who got it. Elizabeth Obrey is a pillar in the autism community and or in my hometown of Springfield, Missouri. And she has five children that are beautiful and gifted, many of them artists. Um, she is um, a family advocate, is that right, at the Ark of the Ozarks, Elizabeth, and vice president on the board at Stars for Autism. She shows her support in many organizations throughout the autism community. She's just an amazing lady, and I'm proud to work alongside with her at Stars for Autism. But more importantly, I'm just glad that we're friends. So welcome to the show, Miss Elizabeth. Thank you for joining me. Well, I'm so glad to be with you tonight. I'm really excited about getting to talk with you, getting to chat and share some information. Yes. Um, I'm just – I thought of somebody brought up this topic with me they asked a question and it got me thinking about this topic in specific and I I immediately thought of you you have you have a way of um presenting information that um that I think best shows respect and um and just appreciation for for people on both sides of this conversation. And um, I think that that's really important. And that's why I thought of you, because I think you do it very well. You're very professional. And um, I respect that. So thank you for having this conversation for with us. We're going to talk about um, disability and what people would call quote unquote labels. This is something that um, we have um, a lot of question about. Sometimes we hear from ministry leaders you know, why, why do we have so many, um, parents that push labels on, on, on kids these days? Like there's so many people that have diagnosis of autism and and things like that. So we're going to talk about that, that today. So do you have any thoughts on why so many kids are diagnosed with autism? When we're talking, you know, when we're talking about diagnosis of autism, it actually, without that diagnosis, a lot of doors are not open that are going to bring support to a family. By getting a diagnosis, it leads you to the help and the support your child needs to to grow, to learn, to be more successful, to live a whole life. Because without that guide, right. which is the diagnosis, then you're not sure which path to take. Now, everybody's path is going to vary and be a little bit different, but a diagnosis is a word rather than a label. When we talk about labels, a label is a word. Yeah. So a lot of times it's the intention behind it. Is your intention of giving your child a label to bring resources to their lives, to bring understanding, 
to be able to explain what's going on so that your child can um, find success. Or if someone's using a label in more of a derogatory manner or something that's going to isolate someone, pull someone away from the general population. As parents, what we're looking for is they need a diagnosis so that people can understand where my kids are, what tasks are on, and how to help me build a future for my child. And that's why a diagnosis, or as some interpret it, a label, is so important. Right. A couple of podcasts ago, we um, talked about the importance of of how we communicate about disability. And when we um, when we started our disability ministry at our church, um, I was working with um, a couple of people that had not had any previous experience in, in the disability community. And and they were very, very respectful um, in, in asking me often, you know, Shelly, is this how I say this? You know, looking back at people first terminology, um, we brought that up in, in the conversation from that episode. I'll have to go back and and find out which episode that was now that, um, that we referred to it. But um, words are important, and, and they, they help us show respect. And, um, and you mentioned a diagnosis is just a word. It's a word that, that we use to help, help bring supports to our, our children um, as parents, and um, they're just there to help us better understand our students, right? Right. Absolutely. Because it's, you know, we, in, in my field and when we work, we get so, um, we just get to the point where we kind of understand what this person's thinking and what the intention is behind it. But when we're talking about um, the general population, um, you know, we have to help define something for people. We have to be, it's so easy, whatever group you run with, whatever community takes up most of your time, we, we always tend to get in kind of a bubble and we think everybody else understands what we're talking about. And sometimes, you know, when you step out of that bubble, people don't know that the same terminology you do. So by using certain words and kind of breaking it down, well, we, we love people's first language. Sometimes when we're so careful that it becomes confusing. Sometimes we have to just break it down to those simple words and start to build a foundation first. Um, what do some of these words mean? And how does that impact my family and my child? How does it impact you? How does it impact the industry? Right. And um, what I... What I think is so so beautiful about this is that we, when we talk about disability and when we're doing trainings, I talk about disability as a culture. I think that we've developed a culture based upon our own coping, like we've coped with certain things. We have different traditions. We have different ways of identifying things. And so a lot of times we, we <laughs> I tease, you know, we speak in the language of acronyms, you know, we we can spit out acronyms like nobody's business and everybody's like, well, I don't know what that means. And so we really do have to break down, break down our language so that everybody understands. And, um, and so when we look at, you know, when we're talking about diagnosis, you know, we're like, well, well, we do have a lot of people impacted by autism nowadays, but what does that mean? What does that mean for us as ministry leaders? So sometimes what seems fearful, you know, what some may be fearful over or maybe 
confused by? Do you think that it's important? Do you think that, that, that there's a better way to um, to respond to these diagnoses or um, yeah. labels is what some people would say? Absolutely. You know, if you look at a person and you define them and look at them by their strengths rather than trying to look at them and, and understand this complex diagnosis, you know, if you are, you know, as you're starting, as of course, as we grow and build relationships, there's more knowledge, but in that beginning, those first stages, if you focus and you look at what are the strengths of this person, do they really pay attention to detail? Do they smile and laugh? Are they not bothered by certain things? Um, you know, looking at what are their what are their strengths and going on that. Um, when we, um, with my sons, so many, many years ago when we moved to this area, you know, we would go to church and I would just feel like everybody was just watching us and looking at us and and I remember feeling that for quite some time. And then one time when we had exited and sat out in the hall during a service, someone came to me and they said, oh, you know what? We all fight over who gets to sit behind you. Because <laughs> we just love to watch your kids. We love to watch their innocence. We love to watch them notice everybody and everything. And it's just, we want to learn. And when I learned that, that those eyes were not judging eyes, but they were... They were curious. They didn't know the words to approach me and say, I love watching your kids. I love seeing service through their eyes. What what perks them up? What made their head turn? Was it the baby crying in the back row? Or was it the song? Or was it prayer? You know, oh, I noticed they were just a little bit quieter during prayer. Just a little bit. They were noisy, but they were a little bit quieter. And that impresses impress somebody if they're looking for it, if they're looking for that strength instead of being bothered by it or disturbed. So really focusing on those strengths and then it's still understanding, taking consideration that diagnosis, but looking at what is the barrier from them being successful in a certain setting and helping them support them, supporting the family more importantly to help them be successful. Quickly families learn, gentlemen would come up to the boys to try to shake hands and quickly they learned if they if they took a knee and got eye level, that the boys would respond more to them than a man that was hovering trying to force them to shake his hand. And it was an amazing thing to watch the difference of people that focused on their strengths versus those that focused on those barriers or might, some might consider a weakness. In working with ministry leaders over the years, I have noticed that, that sometimes when we start talking about special needs ministry or disability ministry, that the ministry leaders get caught up on on the label or the diagnosis. They really get hyper-focused on that. Well, I've got to learn everything there is to learn about autism, or I've got to learn everything that there is to learn about um, Down syndrome or, you know, whatever the diagnosis is, they feel like they have to learn about all of those. And I think, I, th- I think that that's not even the important part. <laughs> and, and so we get so focused. And I think that the reason why I wanted to have this conversation is because I really wanted to 
allow us to to stop worrying so much about what the diagnosis means um, about the person. Just you know, having a general idea of what what um, a diagnosis looks like, what autism looks like, those autism friendly trainings or autism one on one trainings that that we do really just paint a very broad picture of what someone may or may not see out of somebody that that does have a diagnosis of autism or or whatever and um and so the diagnosis isn't really define the person it's really just there to help guide us um guide us to better understand them we don't need to stop with just understanding what the diagnosis is but really what we need to do is really take note of who that person is as they are as a person, <laughs> you know, what is it that they, what they like and what they don't like. Um, like I, I, I always say, you know, you know, you truly know what a person, you truly know a person when you know what makes them laugh and what makes them cry. And, um, and I think that that's, that's kind of what we we're looking for, right? When understanding Absolutely. disability. I would rather walk into walk into church, walk into service, and have somebody know that, oh yeah, her kid always likes to sit here, or her kid, we're going to play this song, we know that, that he's going to he's gonna stand up and he's going to make some noise during, you know, these type of songs, rather than understand what a diagnosis means. We've got therapists, we have teachers, we have, we have parents, we are, we're we're taking care of that part. What we want when we walk into our faith-based community is to feel welcome, to have our children and young adults and adults feel feel comfortable, to feel welcome, and to feel loved. Right. They get excited that they, you know, that people forward to church that we don't have to, you know, we don't have to out at the house that day. That they're they're excited and they're going to be excited if they start to build relationships if they people see them. See them as a as a person and see them as a joy and appreciate, you know, who they are, whether you know, whether it's something that's a little, you know, their their personality, whether it's something that they, they like or don't like or um, yeah, I want I want I just as we all want to be seen and recognized for who we are. Diagnosis doesn't change that. So people want to be appreciated and, and seen for who they are. Whether we can verbally express that, whether we know that's what's going on, we we can really people can sense when diagnosis of diagnosis, people can sense. If you like them, I you know, I can watch my child is limited verbal ability and I know who he's comfortable by. I know who he will, you know, who he pulls away from because he knows his season. Right. And that's the, that's what our faith-based community is about, is just seeing, seeing that spirit, not being a, a label or a diagnosis. Well, yes, we understand. We talked about those things are important for, for resources, for guidance, for quality of life. But when it comes down to, to learning, to learning about, you know, the Lord, to learning about your faith, you know, it, it, those diagnoses disappear, or they should. And it's just the person, the person standing on the other end. Right. So that, that's what we would hope. 
faith communities have such an awesome opportunity, I think, because um, they don't have to worry about being a part of the treatment plan. They don't have to worry about fixing anything or doing anything. It's really about just being there and supporting the families that are there and providing a community that just loves, you know, I mean, that seems so easy to me, but it's not, it's not for a lot of families. <laughs> you know, the, and it's, and that is the saddest thing because to me, my, my church, my faith, that's my respite. That's my time respite. where I mm-hmm. can relax, rejuvenate, fill my soul, my spirit. But the saddest thing is so many families pull away and they start church shopping. shopping and it yeah. just makes, it makes me sad because you should be able to, you know, go on your faith. What, what is it that, that moves you? What is it that connects you? It shouldn't be who can serve my child and make them feel the most comfortable. We should all be able to choose where we go, how we spend that, that time based on our faith, not because somebody has one thing or the other. That's why it's so important that all churches, all faiths, all disability ministries, all ministries become inclusive. Right. If there's one place that we should not expect to feel outcast or judged or anything, it's here. Right. That, I mean, that seems to be the like that, that makes so much sense. And it just feels like that should be a natural occurrence. But I really think um, we get stuck on our structuring. Um, And I I know school teachers do this too. I mean, we start, school teachers are very atypical people, right? We love our organization. We love our calendars. We love our rules. And we like things to, you know, kind of pan out a certain way. And I see this a lot with churches as well. We have these structures that are unbending and, and, they fail to see like the bigger picture sometimes. And and we fail to see people for who they really are. You know, we fail to, to dig a little deeper and, and the people that, that survive that type of environment a lot of times are people that are adaptable. But a lot of times on this side of, of disability where we're, where we're working with families and, and individuals um, with disability, when they come in, they can't, they can't really adapt a lot of times the way that the churches are structured to adapt. And so churches fail to miss that opportunity because their structure doesn't include them. And so no wonder we have so many families that are like, well, I don't feel like I belong and I don't feel like our family fits in here. You know, I hear those phrases a lot and, um, you know, and, and we do get so focused on, you know, okay. So looking within the structure, well, if I know the diagnosis, then I'll understand. I can, I can do X, Y, and Z, and then they'll fit. Well, we know that diagnosis looks different in, in everybody. Everybody right. is impacted so differently um, from, from the very next person. You know, we can have two people with autism in the same room and loud noises is going to, you know, be okay for one person and, you know, loud voices, loud, loud noises for that other person is going to, you know, really, hurt them and and make them uncomfortable and so you know you really can't look at the diagnosis and say oh I truly know who this person is because it really doesn't identify them it's just there's the guide 
I think that that's really right. cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, take, you know, you, you, you look at their strengths and you, you know, and really our leaders set the tone. Exactly. They, you know, they, they really do because kids are, they get it. And unless, you know, and unless we get in the way of that, they keep getting it. I still, I remember one my one son in, in the music time, you know, he used to, he was going through a phase where he just would just touch everybody and just reach mm-hmm. over and touch and one child didn't understand and kept pulling away and, and he kind of got sad and the little girl next to her said, here Nathan, and she grabbed it a bunch of her waffles and took his hand and she said, you can hold on to my clothes and shoved it in his hand. And I just thought, I was so glad I didn't miss that because it was so, it was so beautiful. She saw a need. That's that support. What is the barrier to him sitting still? He needed something to hang on to. And she provided it. It wasn't disruptive. You know, it wasn't, oh, you know, it can't just wait. You know, letting, letting those kids, you know, find their way. How do we just naturally support somebody without making it a, a big deal? This, this, this same group grew up with him and, and we have door guards. They would just take turns sitting in front of the door so he wouldn't walk out. It just became natural. Who says the prayer? Who reads this? Who empties the trash can? Who guards the door? You know, it just <laughs> became so natural. It didn't become a big deal. It was just, it was just part of There was no official life. plan. <laughs> Was and try to handle it themselves. 
I want to I want to talk about something that I was I was not real sure I wanted to talk about but I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and do it because I think it fits in right here. We um we have labels, we use disability ministry and we talk about special needs and and these are all labels and um we they're there for a purpose. We want people in the community to know, "Hey, we are ministering to people with with special needs we want you to know that we're here um but we also want to promote inclusion and so we we oftentimes again structure um special needs ministry and we call it special needs ministry but then when we have students um that may not fit under a label of special needs and want to be a part of those programs we have we sometimes have people that will say you know well, my, my son or my daughter don't belong in here because they don't have special needs. And it really limits the experience of both students. We, when we don't look at labels as labels, we look at them as guides, mm-hmm. like we were talking about earlier. It, it wouldn't matter if a student had a special need or not to be a part of the class. Every student is seen for who they are and are allowed to thrive just the way that they are. And, um, I think that, that that's part of the, it's part of the, the blessing and the curse of disability, right? Is, is the labels because it really does hinder us, but yet it's also there. It's also there to, to help us get the supports that we need, whether that's through our therapy services or, um, resources within the community, whether it's a program or whatever, um, our students need those or, and, and they get those because of a diagnosis, um, but it also kind of limits everybody else from being a part too. But what's the most important part of the whole, you know, this whole conversation is that, you know, it's not, it's not about the label. It's not about the disability. It's really about seeing people for who they are. And then that's why we look at, and we're starting to hear more and more terms like those of all abilities. Mm-hmm. We'll meet you where you're at or, you know, for for all needs, for you know, the we'll look at a class that is um, for all abilities, including you know those with with more with you know additional you know, needs, disability, additional needs. You know, so looking at pulling that disability label out of the guiding force, but not forgetting. Not right. forgetting it's part of because we don't want to pretend it's not there either. Right. But but right. if we open it up that is so a that it's all inclusive, it's for everybody. Because you know you have the you have the student that you know we've labeled certain students you know a little mother you know because she likes to yes. you know really make sure everybody's okay. We label other you know other kids quickly become known as the one who, who know it all or the one who um, <laughs> lost gift or that. And, and so, you know, if we look at, if we go back to our strengths-based model, what are the strengths that, that they have? You know, and some of the strengths of my son that has a very high significant needs is that he brings out the best in people. Mm. That's one of his strengths. 
Right. One of his strengths is when somebody can make him smile, they feel like they... They won the lottery. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's like it's it's very significant to them. Yeah. Um, you know, he, I feel that way when I, I get a baby to sleep. I'm like, ooh, look what I just did. That baby fell asleep yeah. in my arms. Look at me go. <laughs> exactly. So everybody has has strengths. So when you know, the more that we can um, make things inclusive, but but not forgetting, you know, to support those those high needs because we don't want to, you know, we just, we, it's a fine line because we don't want to forget a certain level of support. We want to look at how someone can be successful. Right. I, I would, I wouldn't want to trade anything for the fact that my kids like to go to church, you know, right. very limited language. Nathan could still, he went through phase where babies, babies were it and he, you know, out of maybe ten words he said, he would say was um, three of them. As he skipped into church, I love babies. I love I know, four. I guess I love the babies. I love the Aww. babies. He would say over and over, so he could go in and see all the babies. And people would let him, you know, hold them and help support him. They just put them off with the baby, but they would support him where he was at. Um, so you know, yeah. He, we love we love inclusion, but we don't like to pretend that there's not a need there. You just exactly can't. you can't really you can't pretend away you know some of the needs. The needs are there, and the support is needed for success. And so yeah, you can't you can't pretend that it's not there um, because it is. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. Izzy was. Izzy was telling us the other day she wanted to go to school. She she calls Sunday school school. And um, the thing is, is, you know, for the, the longest time, we had a bucket of toys in there that weren't the Sunday school class's toys. It was somebody else's prizes that they were giving away, um, I think, for Bible <laughs> quizzing. And and so, um, you know, if I, if I had went to Sunday school and didn't remove the box before she got there, it would, it would have caused her to be ready to leave before you know, before we were done. And so I just started showing up a little bit before my daughter and I would go in and I remove the toys and I'd put them in the other room. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times what happens is when we don't remove those barriers, it, it creates a picture that, you know, well, we just don't want you here. So we're not going to, we're not going to give you that place for you to be you. Um, now we have a box with Izzy's toys in it. <laughs> And, um, you know, she can come in and, you know, if she needs to take them home with her from week to week, then she takes them home and I sneak them back, <laughs> you know, week to week, you know, so we've created this opportunity for her, but without, without making those adjustments, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be successful for her. And, um, so she wouldn't be included. And see, and that, that is so beautiful. And how simple is that, mm. you know, if that change hadn't been made, if that barrier hadn't been removed and a support brought in, what is the cost? The cost might have been she couldn't, you know, behavior escalated to the point where you couldn't come or, you know, you and your husband have to take turns and come because that's often too often mm. what we see. Right. Families being split where one, you know, parents take turns coming to church. And that is just the saddest thing when families feel that they have to walk away from their faith. But 
quote, Miss Izzy, that's the, the perfect, perfect example of strength is that she can, she can play with toys and, and help her to lengthen her time to be able to stay in a class. So there's your strength. You removed a barrier and you brought in the support to support that strength. Right. So, I mean, what better way to create a disability ministry than that? Right. Fluid. Fluid structure <laughs> is what I like to call it. It's <laughs> flexible, but yet movable. And, uh, you know, right. I think that, you know, you need structure to be successful. Um, and our, honestly, I think our kids are very structured um, for the most part. Um, but we do need that flexibility when those adjustments need to be made, that they can be made um, for the right. for the end goal of success. And it, I think families are really good about um, getting in and helping support um those needs as they need to be changed. They'll get in behind, you know, the ministry leaders and say, Hey, how can I help? I want to be a support. You know, what is it that you need? Um, and it, it, even on the other side, we have ministry leaders that are asking, you know, well, how can I help? How, what can I do to, to help make, you know, this more successful? And so these conversations open up quite, quite the, the conversation and we'll get people that'll probably emailing us and saying, Hey, well, what about this? Or what about that? You got their, you know, their wheels are turning in their head and, you know, so now they're talking about it and they're like, well, what do I do about this? What do I do about that? And so these conversations are important to have. And I'm so thankful that we were able to have them with you today, Elizabeth, you are you're an amazing woman. And I'm so, so thankful to call you friend. Oh, same, same here. I just, I just love it. Wouldn't be able to have this time to actually start to sit down and talk about something that we're both <laughs> passionate about. Oh my goodness. Thank you all for listening this week. Did you know that we can be heard on nine different platforms? They include Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, and Spotify. For more information about what we do here at Steps Care, go to stepscare.org. There are a lot of great resources there for you to check out and free downloads, so you don't want to miss out. If you have any questions or would like to talk to us about sponsorship, email us at talk at stepscare.org. So next week, we get to talk with children's book author, Jan Luck, who brought us Albert, a children's character who is teaching students about how to be a friend to someone on the autism spectrum. You won't want to miss this. I think you're going to be inspired.